Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of You Want to Watch a Podcast, where I'll let you know whether or not that movie you're considering watching is worth it. My name is Gabby, and I'm very excited for today's episode. We are talking Snyder Cut. Being able to see the Snyder Cut of Justice League has been a long time coming. I was very excited to finally be able to watch it. I'm very excited to talk about it. So that will be the bulk of today's episode. But we will also be talking about Tom Holland's newest movie on Apple TV called Cherry. Not excited about that at all. So we're going to get that one out of the way first. So let's get into it. Cherry was released on Apple TV Plus about two weeks ago on March 12th. So it's been out for about two weeks. Um, I think everybody who was excited about it probably has already gotten around to watching it. It stars Tom Holland, as I said. So all of his stands definitely made sure that they watched it and then tried to boost up the letterboxed ratings, but they're not successful. Um, I think right now, it's sitting at about a 2.7, which honestly, I find generous. I will let you know right now, I gave this movie one star. Let me give you a little bit of background and then I will get into why I disliked it so much. This movie is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, the Russos of Marvel fame. This is the first uh, movie that they've done post Endgames. It's their first release out into the world after doing the huge finale of phase three of the MCU. So it's not exactly in the same vein as a Marvel movie, despite having Tom Holland Spider-Man in it, but it's not like, it's not a superhero. It's not fully high action. So it's kind of their first toe in the water of doing a more dramatic film. Um, this is based on a novel. It's uh, written by Nico Walker, the book is the same title as the movie, and it's described as autofictional, which means um, the basis of the story is rooted in fact, but there's plenty of creative license taken with the plot lines and the events and the way everything unfolds. Um, and Nico Walker wrote it about himself, but he already had taken that creative um, license with his own life, which... I find kind of interesting and I like it um, in this case specifically because with the Russos, you already know that they would have taken the story and run with it regardless. So it's good that Nico Walker had already done half that work for them. And I can't blame anything about this movie solely on the Russos because they just copied straight from the book and put it onto screen. We follow this college student named Cherry, who is played by Tom Holland, and he falls in love with his college classmate named Emily. Emily is played by C.R. Bravo. Um, you probably don't know who she is, or if you do know who she is, it's probably because you remember her as the little sister from Big Time Rush. And I couldn't unremember that or unsee it the entire time, which became problematic for me. I will get into the reasons why. But essentially, they fall in love, and then out of the blue, Emily decides that she's going to transfer to a school in Montreal and go study abroad, and Cherry is so upset that he decides to enlist in the military, because A plus B equals three in this situation. Bad decision, obviously. Emily finds out about this, and then she changes her mind, and she decides she's not going to go to Montreal, and they're in love. And they want to be together for the rest of their lives. So they get married before 
um, he is deployed. And that's essentially the first part of our story. This movie is broken into multiple parts. And so this is really summed up the first part. That's really all that happens in the beginning of the movie. And already from the beginning, I had issues with the tone and sort of the stylistic choices that the Russos made. They use a fish eye lens, which I usually can never find a reason that I think that that's necessary as a direction choice. It doesn't look good. And unless you like absolutely need to have it, I truly don't understand why you would use it. It feels like it just makes every scene look odd for no real reason. Um, So I hated that. And then another part that I hated is we had um, breaking of the fourth wall. Like we had Tom Holland talking directly to the camera as us, the viewer, and trying to like explain some backstory. And I really don't understand the point of that either. But every time he did it, it took me out of the flow of the scene. And this follows us the entire movie. So like he will just randomly stop and then start talking to the camera. And again, there don't really find... Uh, much reason for that to happen except like Deadpool that makes sense because that's sort of like the comedic tone of that movie and it's nice to like hear Ryan Reynolds like break the fourth wall in that sense but I don't really think it's necessary here I feel like they were just trying to like put every creative idea that they had wanted to do in the Marvel movies that Kevin Feige told them no on for good reason now they don't have anybody like telling them what to do and so they decided to just do it all which no not always necessary sometimes it's good to pull it back I feel like that definitely had to have been a big part of it which I can sort of understand from their perspective like making Marvel movies you're really told what you can and can't do Um, I'm sure like I'm sure there's very very strict guidelines and anytime you try and like break out of that I'm sure Kevin Feige and the rest of the Marvel bosses make sure to pull all of their directors back but um, I mean it works for Marvel they make a shit ton of money I'm sure the Russes are happy about that but I'm sure they wanted this opportunity to just do truly whatever they wanted Um, and they went for it and I think that it didn't pay off for them As I said, this movie is broken into multiple parts. And so um, the next part, we are following Cherry through his experience in the army, through his deployment. Um, He sees lots of different parts of battle. He sees somebody he becomes really close to get blown up by an IED. And so he obviously develops a lot of trauma from that. He develops PTSD. And when he comes back after his deployment, he is prescribed uh, Oxycontin to help control the nightmares and other symptoms of his PTSD. And from that use, he develops an addiction. That addiction then spirals into a heroin addiction as he continues to chase that high that he wants to feel that he's no longer getting from the pills And in this, Emily, his wife, is attempting to help him through everything, but she feels like there's nothing that she can do. She's just like having to watch him struggle through all of this. Um, And her response to that is to also start abusing Oxycontin. She takes Cherry's medication because her 
explanation for that is if he gets to shut the world off and um, just be high all the time, why can't she? And so the two of them both develop addictions to Oxycontin and then heroin and they just start doing drugs together all the time. At this point, both of the characters in this movie are essentially like the same age as Tom Holland and Sierra Bravo are in real life. Um, They both suffer from baby face where they look like they could actually be just permanently 18. And that works like for the early scenes where they're in college because they look really young and they act really young. But um, as the movie continues on, I think it starts definitely becoming a hindrance because as they're supposed to be like 25, 26, they look like actual children. And for me, knowing that everything else that I've seen them in, they've played high school students who are younger. Um, I have a hard time like viewing them as adults, just as a casual viewer of their acting. And so as their characters are like trying to deal with these really adult situations, and even every time they like cuss, I had to laugh because neither of them could like say fuck confidently. Like every time they said it, they looked like they were about to get in trouble from their mom or dad. And so like we have these two characters like doing heroin and like cussing left and right. And uh, I don't believe any of it. (laughs) It's really weird for me. It's a weird experience watching this movie. I've seen a lot of praise for the acting in this movie, like people that have seen this movie and given reviews and criticism of it have um, sort of been a little iffy on the storytelling and the storyline and the overall plot, but they said that the acting was really good at least, and I have to absolutely disagree because I just don't think that the casting here was the right choice, and I don't think that either Tom or Sierra, like were confident and convincing in the characters that they were supposed to be playing. The only like really good convincing parts on Tom's part is when he's crying. And I mean, we already know that from Infinity War, like Tom Holland can cry his ass off and he's really convincing and I can feel the emotion from him. And so I guess if his character Cherry had just been crying the entire time, I would have accepted it. But alas, that is not what happened. I had to continue watching this movie, just being very disappointed, very irritated. And overall, I like absolutely did not have a good time. That's why I gave it one star. The rest of the plot just kind of like moves on as they continue to struggle with their addiction. Um, I also think that this movie could have been trying to say something a little more interesting about struggling with addiction and about just how prevalent that is for a lot of people, especially in America. But again, it wasn't trying to do anything that interesting. So I feel like that was another missed opportunity on the Russo's part. Eventually, Cherry starts robbing banks to support his addiction. um, And in the end, it just continually goes wrong. And nothing really good happens from that point on. Uh, I won't spoil the end if you decide you do want to watch it, but the rest of the events follow Nico Walker's life um, by big plot points uh, exactly. So at least it didn't seem too outlandish to me because I know this actually had happened to someone. But overall, I was highly disappointed with this. Like it wasn't a movie that I had like really high hopes for. But I just at least expected the acting to be a little bit better and was definitely disappointed by that. So I would not recommend giving that a watch. 
Now let's get on to some fun stuff and let's talk Zack Snyder's Justice League. The path of getting to having the Snyder Cut out into the full world has been a long time coming. Um, it has been very actually dramatic. I feel like we could have an entire like dramatized movie like with full actors um, of the process of filming um, the original cut of Justice League and then all the way up to getting the Snyder Cut out into the world. To give some backstory, if you don't know the ins and outs of what happened. Um, So the original cut of Justice League came out in 2017. It on paper was directed by Zack Snyder. But due to the reaction from fans and critics of Batman versus Superman, which was Zack's second um, DC movie, he did Man of Steel, and then he did Batman versus Superman, and this was his third movie into his whole plan for what he was going to do with the DC universe. Warner Brothers, as a company, was very, very worried about how Justice League was going to be received. The script was rewritten plenty of times during filming of the movie. There was plenty of tension back and forth between all the different hands that were going into the script and how it was being received between each writer. Um, And then we get to the pivotal point of the entire big drama controversy, if you will, about Justice League. And that's um, Warner Brothers held this footage summit that included one Mr. Joss Whedon And they decided, Warner Brothers being they, decided to hire Joss on to assist with the film. Now, when he was hired on, it wasn't in any directing capacity. Um, That came about due to the incredibly tragic and unfortunate circumstances around Zack Snyder's personal life with the um, death of his daughter, Autumn. He was forced to step back from the movie um, and totally just deal with his personal life as to be expected. But this happened post-production. So they were totally done filming at the part where Zack Snyder then no longer had any involvement in Justice League. So Joss Whedon comes in and assumes the role of director solely for post-production. Two months after he takes that role as director of post-production, that is announced that there will be two full months of reshoots. And these reshoots ended up costing about another $25 million, which normally reshoots max out at like $10 million. Um, But they put in a ton of more money for Whedon to be able to reshoot lots of scenes. It was later said by um, producer Charles Roven, he claimed that 85% of the movie, of the theatrical cut of Justice League, what was what was originally shot, um, but then we hear from cinematographer Fabian Wagner later on that he estimated that only about 10% of the original footage that Zack was a part of ended up in that final cut. We also learned that Whedon rewrote about 80 pages of the original script. So that number lines up more accurately with 
the 10% of the original being only what was left in because I don't understand how you can rewrite that much of the script and then still use the original scenes that were already filmed. It makes no sense. The only thing that I will say in Whedon's defense of this process of filming um, is that it was mandated that this movie needed to be under two hours and that they weren't going to delay the release despite all of these issues that they had in post-production because um, the Warner Brothers executives needed their cash bonus um, under they were merging with AT&T and it had to be released by a certain date for them to get their cash bonus so they had to rush the production of the movie totally so I will say that Whedon was working under some very challenging conditions but I will also say that Zack Snyder would have been working under the same level um, if he had been able to remain on the film. That's a lot of backstory, but it's very important to sort of understand that that's how everything was going with this movie um, to sort of give us the reason why we even ended up with the Snyder cut. The theatrical cut of Justice League was released in November 2017 to very mixed reviews. Um, From a fan perspective, most fans were very critical of the movie and did not like it. And at this point, it really started the release the Snyder Cut movement because at that point, with everything else that was coming out about the production of the movie, fans really just felt like this was not what Zack Snyder envisioned. This is not the movie that fans were promised and they really just did not like what they were given as a product and wanted to see what the real version should have. The whole release the Snyder Cut movement was kind of funny at first and it's a whole thing where anytime a group of people on the internet like feel passionate about something um, it's both weird and then also it's easy to make fun of them. And what happened here is a lot of different people in the media, like different film critics and stuff, really pushed back on the fans wanting the Snyder Cut version. And it became this entire like thing where anybody who supported a version of the Snyder Cut was like this entire like toxic movement and the Snyder bros were like these awful people when like obviously in every single aspect of fandom there's crazy insane fans I'm not going to deny that I'm not even going to deny that like some of the people who wanted the Snyder cut like went to levels that were inappropriate because that's just what happens in fandoms but I think especially with the circumstances um, that surrounded the entire production and release of Justice League that it wasn't ridiculous for fans to want the proper version of this movie And so there were lots of petitions and lots of hashtags trending. Eventually, lots of the actors from the movie um, started getting behind wanting the original Snyder Cut version of Justice League. And so we hit a point where it actually starts being something that is taken seriously and that almost finally seems like it could be a possibility that we might be able to get Zack Snyder's vision of this movie. And in early 2019, Zack himself confirms there is indeed an original cut of Justice League out there in the world, um, but that it would be up to Warner Brothers to release it for anybody to be able to see it. 
And so now that it's confirmed that it does exist, obviously the push to want it grows even more. And in late 2019, um, there begins to be talks of the possibility of putting it out on HBO Max, which at that time was still being developed. But they were thinking that if they were going to give the people the Snyder Cut version, it was going to be straight to streaming and not a theatrical release or anything like that. And Warner Brothers initially told Zack that the only way that they would even do that is if they just released the version as it existed in that moment. And Zack pushed back and said, no, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And I want reshoots. So early 2020, Zack shows executives at Warner Brothers and HBO his version of the Snyder Cut, and they are totally impressed with it and decide it's a go, we're getting Snyder Cut. The plans for this are then almost thwarted by one Miss Rona. Um, It then all of a sudden didn't seem like this was going to happen, but luckily both Zach and his wife decide that they're going to push hard for this and they're going to make it happen. And we find out in May of 2020, it's official it's going to happen. There's going to be Zack Snyder's Justice League released on HBO Max in 2021. So after it's finally confirmed in May of 2020, we get another interesting piece of information. And this, what comes from Ray Fisher, is is what makes the Snyder Cut that much more important and what makes Whedon's version of Justice League that much more like truly unacceptable and fully like should be forgotten in the whole terms of DCEU because what we then find out in July of 2020 uh, Ray Fisher writes this piece um, and accuses Joss Whedon of, in quotes, gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable behavior on the set of Justice League. He tweets that out, and obviously everybody starts having all of these questions. People are like so confused as what's going on, why this information's coming out now. Ray Fisher goes on to also um mention the co-president of Warner Brothers, as well as the former DC Entertainment president um, and CCO Jeff Johns, um, saying that they enabled Whedon's behavior on the set. Um, And at the time, like he really made no other comment, like Warner Brothers didn't comment, Whedon didn't comment. Um, Over the next few months, there was plenty more explanation from Ray and plenty more detail of the... um, examples of the abuse and the events that happened on set. Uh, One of the ones that really stuck out to me when I first heard about it was that um, he said that during post-production that Joss Whedon had tried to change the complexion of a skin tone. Um, And that one really just sticks with me, especially in the timeline of when that was, um, that information was released, like in the height of like, the Black Lives Matter protest really reaching its breaking point over the summer and just knowing that 
Ray Fisher had sat on like all of this abuse and this like racial injustice for so many years just because Warner Brothers is so powerful. DC Entertainment as a company is so powerful that he felt that he couldn't speak up. Um, But that because we were finally getting the correct version, for lack of a better word, of Justice League and that there was going to be an opportunity for the story to be told the way it should have been, um, that he felt that he had the okay space and the protection in a way to finally like speak up about it and the biggest part too for Ray Fisher um, and what everybody knew when the original cut of um, Justice League was first released in theaters was that his character Cyborg was supposed to have such a more important role in the movie and it was the bulk of what Joss Whedon cut out and seeing the Snyder cut and seeing all the parts where Cyborg was supposed to be included and knowing that that's where Whedon chose to pull from. It just feels like, like it's hard to think that Ray Fisher is lying for any reason because one, he wouldn't have gained anything from it. And two, uh, it's just so clear that in what was pulled back and what was cut out that Whedon had to have had a problem with Fisher to a certain extent. There was a full investigation of um, Ray Fisher's claims done by Warner Brothers. And obviously they came to the conclusion that nothing had happened because why else would they come to any other sort of conclusion? They need to cover their own asses. But um, I think overwhelmingly the public and the media um, have done a good job standing by Ray Fisher, um, his whole accountability over entertainment movement, I think is making a difference um and there's been plenty of feedback and plenty of other stories to have come out since ray fisher first made his first statement about joss whedon um plenty of people with their own stories about working with whedon that further support what ray fisher is talking about most notably recently from charisma carpenter who played cordelia on buffy and angel Um, She has very specific stories and experiences that were also negative working with Joss Whedon and specifically pointed out in her story where she decided to um, go public with it that it was Ray Fisher's bravery and him speaking out that made her feel like she could do the same. And so in this whole Snyder cut, you have you have the crazy fans, you have people who really just wanted the good version of the movie. You have like all of this noise. And then out of this also comes finding out that there was more than just the problems with the movie from like a technical standpoint or a storytelling standpoint, but to know that there was abuse happening on set um, just makes for me personally just having the the Whedon cut of Justice League just it leaves an even like worse taste in my mouth and makes the Snyder cut that much more important. Like I can't help but be incredibly happy for Ray Fisher and for the rest of the cast too, who also had to put up with Joss Whedon. Like they didn't have super specific um, statements to make about how they were treated on set, but I'm sure that they did have to put up with a level of what Ray Fisher was talking about. And so knowing that 
they all sort of got a second chance to have this movie reworked and reframed into a more positive end result. Um, I'm just really happy about that. And so all of that, all of that that gets us up to the official release of Snyder Cut, how do I feel about it? That is the question is how did I feel about this reworked version? And I sort of walked away with like five little notes that I wrote to myself in my notes app of how now having the Snyder Cut and now knowing what this movie was more supposed to be like makes me feel. And the first is I miss Batfleck. I miss Ben Affleck, Batman, so much. Um, I think he was a perfect Bruce Wayne. I think he was a perfect Batman. And I'm really sad that filming this for like ben, filming for Ben um, was so hard on him and having to deal with his alcoholism and like having to go to rehab was just so tough on him that he had to scrap the solo Batman film that he was going to both star and direct and having to just step away fully from that role. Um, I'm really sad about that. And it was nice to see him though in this again and see kind of his last chance to be Batman. Number two that I walked away from Snyder Cut thinking is that I'm really excited for Ezra Miller's Flash. Um, Ezra Miller has so much heart in this movie, like as Barry Allen. Um, every time Barry's on screen, like I want to like give him a hug and I feel like protective of him for some reason. Like, yes, he can like run faster than the speed of light and he can definitely take care of himself. But at the same time, I also um, want to keep him protected. I just have that very like that feeling towards him. He's very charming, very sweet. Um, I just I loved it so much. Also, the scene towards the end where he breaks um, the rule that he's not supposed to run faster than the speed of light to help save the universe, basically, is one of the best comic book movie scenes in history, like one of the best ever filmed, period. The third is that I am very, very angry about Ray Fisher's cutscenes from the original um, production of the movie. When you watch this cut, when you watch the Snyder cut, it is so clear that Ray Fisher is like the heart of this movie and that he's the point and that he, without him, it doesn't make any sense, which just thinking back on the Whedon version from what I can remember of it, um, it just, it makes it so much more clear why that movie didn't work. It's because none of Ray Fisher's plot points were included and he makes the movie his path to becoming cyborg in that movie is one of the most important parts and I don't understand how Joss Whedon thought that it could make sense without any of it um, I'm very glad to have gotten all of that in the Snyder Cut but it really just made me even more angry that I had never had it in the first place the fourth thing that I walked away thinking about this um, was I really need another Henry Cavill Superman movie and I need it now um, I need it while Henry Cavill still has a good hairline because he's losing it and it's going to make me sad. So they need to get on that while he still has some hair. Um, but also from a more serious standpoint, I just, I don't know what other comic book character I care about the way I care about Henry Cavill's Clark Kent. Like, I think probably like Chris Evans, Steve Rogers is the only close second, but 
Um, I don't care about any comic book character the way I care about Henry Cavill's Clark Kent. And I need, I need them to give him another Superman movie. Henry cares so much about Clark and it's so apparent in literally every scene that he acts in and Zack Snyder cares so much about all of these characters that I, I just need Warner Brothers to give Zack and Henry another Superman movie. Like, I just need it. I really do. And that kind of ties into the fifth thing that I walked away from Snyder Cut thinking about. And it really just is about how much Zack Snyder cares about all of these characters, not only just because all of the amount of effort he's put into DC over the years, but even just him as a director and a person, um, Zack Snyder, like he cares a lot he cares about diversity and inclusion and he cares that his actors are comfortable and that the production runs smoothly. And I think that really does show in this full movie that he wanted to put something together that was worth watching, that fans could be happy with, that he could be proud of, that fans could be proud of. And that's just him as a director and a person. It's not because he wants to make a ton of money. Like, yeah, sure, that's a good byproduct of the amount of effort he puts into everything. But I just feel like to me, I feel that it's not his only motivating factor. It's that he just actually cares about people. And it makes me really emotional thinking about this entire process for him, just like trying to make the movies that he wanted to make, regardless really of um, like critic feedback or anything and still attempting to do that through the initial filming of Justice League and then to have such a tragic thing happen to his family with the loss of his daughter um, and then to be able to come back and revisit this movie and fully release something that he was proud of um, and be able to put her name at the end of his movie. Uh, Just I'm glad for him. Like I'm really, really happy that he got the end result that he deserved and that we as fans also got to be in that process with him. So I have a lot of thoughts about Zack Snyder, about Justice League. Um, And that's why this episode has been so long. I can't believe this is the longest episode I've ever recorded. I just, I've had a lot to say. I've had a lot of thoughts over the past almost four years. It's like three years, three and a half, but Ever since the weed and cut dropped, I have been waiting for what we just got on HBO Max. So I will say um, there's been obviously people on the Internet uh, complaining about this movie. Um, Like someone said, like one of the headlines I saw was saying like the Snyder cuts for Snyder fans. And it's like, well, no shit. Like if you are only casually interested in Justice League or Zack Snyder, like you shouldn't be forcing yourself to sit through a four hour movie because you're not the target audience. Like he's not making, he didn't make this movie for people who are like sort of interested in the idea of Justice League. He made this movie for all the fans who championed for this version and for himself, honestly, too, to have his vision actualized. Like this movie is four hours for a reason. If you're not interested in that and if you're just going to complain, like, I don't know why you would make yourself sit through it. I would question your life choices if you hate Zack Snyder and you still watched the four hour Snyder cut version of Justice League. Insane behavior. 
So all that to say, I would recommend you watching this. Um, but again, like I just said, if you're only slightly interested in it, don't spend four hours of your time because you're just going to be mad at yourself and then you're going to be mad at the movie. And it's not the movie's fault that you decided to spend four hours on it when you weren't that interested. So do yourself a favor. Do us all a favor. Don't make yourself sit through it if you don't want to. And on that note, I'm going to stop talking before this episode hits over 40 minutes. Um, I guess if you like long episodes, this is for you. Let me know if you would like some longer episodes where I do give a little more backstory the way I just did. Um, Obviously, this was totally like an outlier. Like most movies don't have this level of controversy and this amount of years worth of information to work through. But if you like long episodes and you want a little bit more of that from me, please let me know. My next episode will be a review of episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's going up on Friday, and then I will have another movie episode for you as normal next Monday. So if you are watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I will catch you on Friday. If not, I'll see you back here next Monday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of You Want to Watch. You can find me on Apple Podcast and Spotify, as well as on Twitter at YWWpod and Instagram at You Want to Watch.